A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Chanchuli. Sometimes things don't go as planned, but taking a step back can eventually lead you to even three steps ahead. I'm Sean Rosenfeld, and I'll be asking questions to understand why Chris did what he did and what he learned from it. I take in OptiFit, my first gym that I started that I don't know if it would be considered a successful business. By traditional senses, I guess the answer would be no, but it gave me a taste of what it was like to leave a gym that I was working at with a clientele of 20 or so, a little over 20 people. To recap what happened when I left, about half the people, 10 or so came with me. I built up to 400 members over the course of a year. I went from 10 clients to about 30 clients at this point. And now I was moving two miles down the street because I had worked out a deal with a gym that was opening their second location. I was going to be bringing all my members. I didn't get all members. I got about half to go. So now of the 30 clients, I'm going two miles down the street. I probably lost four, five. So now I was going into this gym and the way the deal was worked out, any training that I did with my clients that were given to them on a list going in were my clients. I kept 100% of what they paid me. That was my money. I'd have to split it. Any clients that I picked up in this gym, I was going to get 70% of the session. The gym was going to keep 30% of the session. I was going to have my own employees that came over from my gym, and then the gym had their own employees. The gym at the time was doing about two to $3,000 a month total in their personal training and a lot more in their memberships. So I came in and they had a fitness director and she was great, got along great with her. There was no plan or vision for the training. So by me not focusing on trying to sell memberships because the gym was having no problem selling memberships at all, the lesson I learned from OptiFit and being in that huge sports complex was look at who your audience is. Instead of trying to appeal to people on the outside, look for the low-hanging fruit, if you will, the people that are already in the gym that have their eye on you day in and day out because that's the lesson I learned from the first gym that I worked at before starting my own training business and my own gym. I realized that people were seeing me for days, weeks, months before they approached me to work with them. So now that I understood that whole idea, I realized the people that are watching me from the treadmills or from the ellipticals while I'm working with clients, if they're watching and I see their eyes on me, those are the people that I should approach or just spark up a conversation with them. So that's what I started doing. When someone would be on a treadmill, I'd walk over, engage in conversation, make a suggestion. Most people on the treadmill would have their hands holding on and they would have a zero grade or zero incline. Hey, do you want a suggestion or can I give you a way that you can make that a little bit more challenging? 
nine times out of 10, they would say, sure, what do you got? And I'd say, take your hands off. And they'd say, oh, wow, that's harder. I'd say, exactly. That's raising your heart rate and you're going to burn more calories that way. And when they heard me give one piece of information that they immediately saw a result from, and that result being got out of breath faster, that established some credibility that I knew what I was talking about. Then they would usually ask me another question because I would leave off by introducing myself and say, hey, if you ever have any questions or I can help you out in any way, let me know. So I would say that in conversation, but where I made a mistake was, and this caused some fights early on, that same person who I made a suggestion to in passing about taking their hands off, they might ask me, how do you use these machines? And they'd point out one machine in particular, and I would show them the one machine, and then I would tell them, you know, if you did one session with me, I could do like an intro, and we could cover five to 10 machines right in this area, and it'll help establish you knowing how to use the basic machines in the gym. Then they would say, oh, don't you offer a free intro to the machines or equipment? And what they didn't know is that gyms don't pay trainers to be there. Trainers are doing that and volunteering their time so that they can establish value to the members. But when you're a trainer who's short-sighted and doesn't really understand business, which I was and I think most trainers or people are in general not understanding business, I wanted to turn around and say, do you think I went to college and learned all this just so I can do free sessions for you? But I didn't say it in those words, but I was reluctant to give too much information away thinking that then they wouldn't hire me. So I got into some arguments with people where they would say, you should be giving this to me. I'm a paying member of the gym. Little did they know I really didn't care if they were a paying member of the gym because none of that money was going into my pocket. So after a couple of people complaining to the gym manager or wanting to talk to an owner about me being rude and not sharing information, I realized that I had to give people something. So because I was the co-manager at that time of the fitness program, I came up with an idea with the general manager and one of the owners to where we would include $20 onto the membership so that when someone would sign up for an annual membership to the gym, they'd also pay an additional $20. And that money was allocated to the trainer who was going to do an introduction session for the member. So by doing that, then the trainer was going to get $20. They kept it all. There was no split between the gym or the training department. And that incentivized myself and the other trainers to do these introduction sessions. And from doing the introduction sessions, I learned that people saw me working with those clients on the floor. And by me being with clients during times that I ordinarily wouldn't be because I didn't have paying clients during those time slots, members of the gym were seeing me in action. And they liked my training style. They liked what I was doing with clients. They saw lots of laughter coming from our sessions. So they thought, is he making working out fun? So that sparked interest. So a lesson I learned there is perception is reality. They didn't know that I was only doing one session with that person. They saw me training someone. So when I became fitness director to that gym, what I started doing is having my trainers work with people on the floor. So even if it was one of their friends or someone they knew in the gym, I would tell them, hey, I'm going to be doing a tour or I'm going to be having a first session or a potential lead is interested in training. While I do the meeting, you guys go out on the floor and go work with your friends, but put on one of these staff shirts or trainer shirts so people see that you're the trainer and they're the quote unquote client. 
So when I would do a gym tour and walk around the gym with a potential member to the gym or with someone that I had an appointment with who was interested in training, they would see so many trainers on the floor. They would ask me, oh, I wanted to ask you. I see a lot of people here are working with trainers. How does your personal training pricing work? So I was able to get them to ask me the question about training and inquire. And I would say to them, you know, a lot of people here do work with trainers, which wasn't a lie that time of day that they were in, we might not have had very much training going on, but there were a lot of people that worked with trainers. So it made it much easier for me to include the training with the membership or get them to buy it initially because people aren't as likely to take out their wallet or their credit card multiple times. You want to really get that upsell initially with the membership. So the general manager and myself worked out away how they would do the initial tour. Then they would bring them over to my office. They would introduce me. I would talk about the training. I'd bring them back to the general manager. Then after all was said and done, we had them buying a membership as well as 12 sessions. I still remember it was $438. So they were buying their 12 sessions with their membership. And it also included their free introductory session, which was $20. It was already added into the membership that they didn't know. But that's why we called it a free session, a free intro, which they were paying for. But so people would say, do I get that free intro as well with the training? And we would then turn it and say, you know what? Instead of the free intro, we're throwing in that 13th session for free. So it looked like an added value again. So that was a way or a lesson learned as I made the transition from having my own gym to now coming to work in a gym as a fitness director And the lesson learned about working with someone is that you will go further with partnerships or by aligning with someone than you will on your own. When I had my own gym and I was playing gym owner and fitness director, I had no one to almost tag team. I couldn't hand them off to someone and have someone else talk about my training service or that I was a good trainer. When I was at my gym, I would tell people I've worked with professional athletes. I know a lot about training. Not only should you buy a membership, but you should sign up to train with me for training. It was me talking about myself. And if there's one thing that people hate, it's hearing people talk about themselves. When I worked at that gym and I handed the client off to the general manager, he would talk about why I was good and why they should consider working with the trainer. And I would reinforce the advantages to this gym versus the other gyms in the area. So by us talking about each other, it was much more credible when talking to a potential member and potential client. When I started there, the personal training department was doing between two and $3,000 a month. After three years, we were doing around fifty dollars to $60,000 a month in personal training alone. So it had grown substantially. And we went from maybe six trainers to, I think at our highest in one gym location, we had some in the area of 17 or 18 trainers. So it was a whole new approach. And I'm proud to say I brought that dynamic of how to really sell the training and how to identify the training. And I saw that To try to do all roles on your own is not successful. Find people you can align with and find others to talk about you instead of talking about yourself. Do you believe your experience as a business owner helped you in this next stint in your career? I think it helped and I think it hurt me. The very difficult thing I realized at that time is 
when you are a business owner and you don't answer to anyone. So for one year, I didn't need to be anywhere because I was told to be. I needed to be somewhere because if I wasn't at my gym at 6 a.m. to open it, no one was there to open it. So the two times I believe in one year that I slept through an alarm and I missed it, and then I had phone calls from members because they had my cell phone on my business card. They were calling, flipping out on me. I had to answer to one of my customers versus having to answer to a boss. So when you go from being the business owner back to being an employee per se, I mean, I was a 1099 employee because it was on my own training sessions within, but they wanted to always have a trainer present between certain hours. So I did have to be there and I had to answer to someone. So I couldn't wear what I wanted to wear. I had to wear one of their shirts. I couldn't wear a hat while training people because they didn't want trainers on the floor to be wearing hats. So the hardest adjustment was having to answer to someone. So I don't think it helped. It hurt because even promotions or ideas that they had, if I didn't think it was a good idea, they really didn't care about what I thought. They wanted me just to follow what they were telling me to do. And again, I was never very good at listening to what I have to do if I didn't understand why. The training clients who were with you when you owned your own business, did they have to join the new gym when you transitioned? My clients that left gym number one to come to my gym, which was gym number two, I didn't charge them a membership to come to my gym. They got to be members of my gym for free, come use the cardio equipment, work out on their own if they want. However, when I went to gym number three, they had to sign up for a membership with that gym. And that was something that I had to break to them lightly because that may have been one of the determining facts why not everyone came over. For those that had kids or were at gym number two so they could watch your kids play while they were working out with me, they didn't want to come. And I guess some people probably didn't want to pay the gym membership to join I want to say it was comparable in price. Say it was like $300 a year at the time to join that gym. They might not want it to have paid the $300 because they were already paying for training. And it's hard to make someone pay for something now that they hadn't when you're not increasing the value. They didn't see the value as now having a bigger gym to work out at because most of those people only came to train with me anyway. They didn't utilize the gym on their own. Hence why they had a trainer. For the experiences that you went through from gym number two, where you were the business owner, and gym number three, where you were the employee, which experiences do you think were the best lessons in life for you? I think both served a purpose at the time. Nobody learns a lesson or realizes a lesson learned in the moment. It's looking back and reflecting to see what you learned through that experience. I mean, even now I'm thinking back and I have such a different take on it all these years later what I could have done different, what would have been a smarter move, how blind was I not to see something. I use an analogy sometimes when speaking to groups, and I'll say, it's very funny how people who have really bad breath don't even know it, although their nose is just above their mouth. There were so many mistakes that I made that I don't know how I didn't see at the time. And the number one mistake was I didn't talk to people like people. I thought that there was a difference between if you are in a business relationship versus a personal relationship. So 
by bringing people into an office and sitting on one side of a desk and having them sit on the other side of a desk. I was doing what I thought you're supposed to do in business. The idea of me talking to them while just walking around the gym or standing on our feet, just talking like two people talking, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I thought that's what you do with friends. But when you're talking to clients or gym members, those are people that are paying you money. So you need to keep a certain role. So instead of just treating people like people, I saw it as me selling something, them buying something. And that's something now that I realize was totally wrong. And by making that switch and now working again as an employee, I didn't look at myself like the business owner. So I dropped that guard of thinking that I'm the business owner talking down to them. And I started talking to people more like just people. So that slight transition, I think, made me appeal to more and just have a different overall attitude. Plus, I didn't have as much stress on me. When you are working in your own business, I don't think a lot of people realize that when you're not sure how you're going to pay your rent that month because you haven't had enough memberships to cover it, or if you need to pay out anything you earned from your training that month to make up the difference in bills or pay an employee or pay my front desk person, and after working all those hours per week and not taking any money home, when a potential new client comes, you may be speaking, you may sound so desperate and not mean to, but you are desperate because you need that person to sign up because you need that three, four, five hundred $500 so you can pay that bill to keep the air conditioning going. And a lot of people don't realize that when you add that much stress on top of everything, I remember there was a time when my grandma died. This is going back. It was March, March 24th, 2003. My brother, my four cousins, my mom, my aunt, my uncle were all sitting bedside with my grandma who was nearing the end of her life. And it could have been any minute she was going to let go. She was unresponsive and Everyone in my family was around my grandma in the hospital room. I was the only one that wasn't. And where was I? I was working that day and I didn't have someone that could work at the front desk. So I had to be there. I didn't want to close because I knew people were coming into the gym and I didn't want them to yell at me. I didn't want the person who I was renting the space from to ask what happened. They were getting complaints and I think that's one of the things that I deeply, 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 deeply regret is, again, thinking that as a business owner, God, how long would that have been? That was coming on about a year. So I was right about at the year mark of having this venture. And my grandma did pass away. And I was the only one of her grandkids that wasn't at the hospital when she died. It's something that it made me realize about myself in that situation that this is something I didn't feel like I even should have closed down the gym that day. I almost felt like this was my role. That's where I should be. And as soon as I can get to the hospital, I will. And that would have been at 10 o'clock or whatever time I was closing that night. But while I was working that day, my grandma let go and passed away and I wasn't there. And even for her wake and funeral, I had to arrange the schedule and I had to have 
my roommate at the time, he had to come and cover the desk for me, which he did as a favor. And I was calling in from the funeral, early days of cell phones. I was calling in to make sure there were no issues, problems. People were showing up, opening on time, getting back people, giving me messages. But here I was in the limo going to bury my grandma, and I was still calling in to see what I had missed or what fire I needed to put out that day. So that was an awakening to the difference of being a business owner versus being able to call in and tell your boss, I can't make it in today. My grandma died. You must have had thousands of conversations with different people over the years. Do you like that aspect of the role? I absolutely love it. What I love is when someone asks for advice and I give them advice and they take it and they tell me that it worked. Like anything, think of how many times you've been given advice by someone who knows better than you and you shrug it off thinking, oh, that won't work in my situation because... And people spend more energy and more effort arguing with you why something won't work than trying to figure out how they can make it work. So a lesson that I learned a while back, it pertains to parenting, but I think it also pertains to business. People don't hear your words. People observe your actions. So if you're someone that's doing something right and you're connecting and you're resonating with people, that's what those that are observing you will see. They may ask you, how do you do it? How do you have such a large following? You then can tell them exactly what you do, and they probably still won't follow it. And there's something so amazing about that. And I used to be one of those people up until probably two years ago. Now I realize that if I ask someone for a piece of advice, I damn well use that piece of advice that they give me Maybe not in the exact sense or the exact way that they tell me I should implement it, but I'll find a way how to take their message and tie it in best to the business at hand instead of just dismissing someone because I've realized there's nothing more insulting than asking someone for advice and when they give it to you, shutting it down right in front of them, telling them that it's not going to work when it already has worked for them and they've had success with it. So that's where you make yourself look like a jerk. I'm sure you've worked out with both successful and unsuccessful people. Are there any traits and routines you see with successful people that you don't see to those who aren't? I'd say for those that I have come across who have achieved a great deal of success, the first question or first statement everyone always makes is success isn't measured in money. And I would agree to that somewhat, but I'd also disagree to that. What I mean is this, for successful people, they have a certain energy that they emote, aura, where they are very positive, where they are upbeat, where they have that magnetic personality, where they draw people into them. And I think you can tell who's successful just watching the way that they operate. Of course, there are people that have great businesses, but they might be jerks, they might be rude. I don't necessarily even put them into the successful category. I personally measure success looking at areas of people's lives. So I would say, what's their family life like? What's their social life like? Are they respected by their employees? Are they respected by their family? Yes, of course. Do they have a nice car, nice house? We all look at that, but 
as I've gotten older, I've realized that that's not indicative to the success or their finances. It could be someone trying to show off or put on a facade for how successful they are. That's why by looking at the other areas, it's almost like school. If you have multiple subjects, you take an average and then you get your GPA overall. I look at success as taking each one of the areas of life, giving it a rating, and then looking at their overall score. So if someone has a 4.0 GPA or a 3.8 GPA, I would say that's successful. If someone has a 2.4 GPA, and I'm making up the numbers, you're not going to look at them as being a successful individual. There might be certain aspects of that person's life that you think that they have achieved success in, but I don't think that makes someone a successful person. For more info, visit us at getconnects.com. That's G-E-T-C-O-N-N-E-X-X. On Instagram at connects underscore or on Facebook at connects, INC.